I'm Carol. And this is the Real Talk Recreation Therapy Podcast. On this podcast, we talk about real experiences and real research that back up the use of recreation therapy as a method of treatment for a variety of populations. We try to keep it real as we address concerns and successes that we and other recreation therapists have had as we all navigate this awesome career field. We don't have it all figured out, but one thing we know for sure is everything gets a lot easier when you can talk it out with a friend. And another thing that recreational therapists love to do that you can do with table games is use adaptations for table games. So another great thing that I love about table games as a modality is that it's super easy to physically adapt the game to your clients. Before I worked as a recreational therapist, I worked as a paraprofessional in a special education classroom. And I had clients who were children, some of them, who had difficulty holding cards. So we would play like Uno or Phase 10, and they would like, unfortunately have to draw a lot of cards, mostly in Uno. You know, you'd have a kid that has like 20 cards and they're getting really frustrated because they had to draw all these cards and also because they have so many cards in their hands, they can't find any of the cards that they're working for. So one of, one of the other paras that I worked with also worked in the wood shop and he went down and he took a, like a little tiny block of wood and cut a slit in it. And then that created a card holder. So our kids could put their cards in the card holder and then they'd still be frustrated because they just had to draw so many cards or they were skipped or whatever, but at least we could make it a little bit easier for them to allow them to put their cards in that holder. And something like that is also super useful for like the geriatric population if they're having difficulty holding cards. Have you seen that adaptation before? Have you used that, Jana? Yeah, actually we did that in the uh, assisted living center I worked in. And so- we did it with pool noodles, which is, there's a YouTube video, I think that we can link to in our show notes. Yeah, that yeah we'll definitely put that in there. Way. And after, actually, after doing that, I did it with kids too. So like anyone that's having trouble holding the cards, mm-hmm. um, a great, like kids, older adults, or just if you just have a lot, like, it's just really helpful to be able to, like you said, see if you're working on that visual scanning and it's not helpful to have them in your hand that mm-hmm. is and really easy like it took like minutes to do and yeah and fairly affordable yeah. <laughs> Especially like, pool noodles. you don't need the whole six foot pool noodle for one no. unless you wanted it unless you had 50 yeah. cards <laughs> so you can like chop it up into little things so yeah it was yeah. super and there's like a ton of other physical adaptations for board games besides card games you could make like the board game pieces like if you have a little character piece you could make a piece bigger like you could create it yourself um if you're working with people with low vision you could get board games that are actually printed like large print board games that's an easy way some of these things you can order on amazon or different companies will make these adapted games that just have bigger pieces um and then also you can make a lot of them too which is nice and can sometimes be cost effective we had a giant ruma cube that is this is kind of like a it's a tile based game so good for grasping and moving things around it was really popular in the 70s i played it with my grandma and so i took it to the assisted living center that i volunteered at and because it was giant it really yeah like you were saying it really helped with that like visual scanning there it's it, there's a lot going on you have to look at yours you have to look at the board and so it was helpful that they don't have to like stand up and pull their glasses up and say, is that a full? Yeah, yeah. They can see it and they can also maybe pick it up easier too because it's not like a teeny tiny little Scrabble tile, which can sometimes be challenging. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So 
that's like kind of some of the physical adaptations. Jana, can you talk about any other adaptations that there might be for board games or table games? I think the ones I most commonly use, like after you've gotten the correct pieces, are just the the gameplay, right? Like it's super easy to shorten the game, throw out a rule that's not serving you or a time limit that if that's not helpful or if it would be helpful if someone is taking like 20 Perfect. minutes of your turn, you can pull out an hourglass or something and say, okay, yeah. everyone's got two minutes to do this in Ticket to Ride. So there's a lot of different versions of Ticket to Ride. So I played Ticket to Ride Europe with our soldiers. And I personally, I love Ticket to Ride. It's a family mm-hmm. favorite. But I personally believe that many of the rules are specifically designed to frustrate. <laughs> like oh, you only have like, so many cards, right? And so like it's, I, and I think that's part of the game is that eventually you are like on top of each other, like trying to place your train tracks. But if that's not helpful, you can say, oh, you can grab, like, we're going to say, normally you can only grab two cards. We're going to say you can grab three or can, there were uh, just like little pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's like extra pieces where you can say, oh, let's use this or let's not use this. Uh, Yeah. Things that can make it faster, especially in those strategy games (laughs) where you're like, okay, Uh we don't, we don't have, we don't want to spend three hours sitting here. No one wants that. Or want that but we don't have time for it that kind of thing Um, yeah I remember sitting down with the soldiers that we played those games with and being like all right what are the rules that you guys play with if you've played it before and like just being able to like agree upon like we're like okay we're not actually following the rules to a t let's all agree on where we are deviating the rules so we can all be on the same page which can't do with every population but that was one thing that I thought was pretty effective with that particular group yeah and I think too it was helpful to it's helpful to be on teams if it's your first time right or or someone comes in late and you've already explained like hey just just sit with me and you can be on my team until you do a couple rounds and then you can take it on your own that kind of thing you can add a cooperative element to the game too if you were working with like maybe you're working with kids who are you're trying to get to work a little bit better together you might put them on a team to play a competitive game so that they're having to problem solve together while still engaging in this like competitive fun activity yeah that it's super great like for something like ticket to ride where you add up your points at the end maybe you say okay our goal is that as all of us we're going to have like 500 points total or something yeah. like that. so that everyone is still like doing the thing but instead of purposefully trying to block each other now you're purposefully trying to get out of each other's way or purposefully trying to help in mm-hmm way you can kind of thing and that yeah like you said that can and that's a that's an easy way to adapt it without having a game that has so many pieces or that you know or or playing a totally new game that maybe you don't yeah yeah or even like one thing I would do when I was working with nursing home residents would be like I would play uno with them but for some of them just because of where they were at with their dementia or whatever cognitive, some sort of cognitive decline, I would take out different cards. Like for example, I might take out the reverse card because that may have been too complicated for the group that I was in or like the skip card or whatever. And it's like super easy to do that. Like you can still play a lot of the game, still kind of have a fun time depending on your group. Yeah. Take out the cards. Like it, it allowed them to still play the game without having to like think through like that extra step. So like that was a super easy modification that like took no time to do and 
didn't even have to explain a rule. I just didn't include it. (laughs) (laughs) And that is all stuff that you can either figure out as you're going or when you do your initial assessment of the game, right? So definitely. We've, we've talked about this a little bit. Let's dive a little deeper into the API process because yeah. how can we, we, right we do it without? So this is for, for anyone that is listening, not aware, API process is the process that recreation therapists will use to make sure that their program is therapeutic and working on goals. The first part of API is A, which stands for assessment. And this is where you really want to determine what are the needs of the people you're working with? What goals do you have for them? So in this assessment phase with table games, you really want to choose a game with your clients or your population in mind, kind of thinking about, okay, what things would this game specifically work on with these clients? What are the goals that you have for them? And just like making sure that the the game is appropriate for your participants. So When I worked at the nursing home, I would often have this problem with a lot of activities, really, um, including table games, where the game would either be too hard. I had a lot of residents that were in later stages of dementia, where they might not have the cognitive skills to play a game, or they might not have the motor skills to like pick up pieces to play a game. At the same time, I would also have residents that did not have dementia or were like much earlier in like the stages of dementia where they would say, this game is way too easy. Like I'm not playing this, this is a child's game, this is boring. So like, if I was able to know who was gonna come to my games group, if I could choose like who would come, I'd be able to pick a game based on that. And in that particular setting, I didn't always know who was coming to my games group because it was kind of more like a, oh no, this is games time. So I would always like to bring like a few different games when we played games. So if I knew that like the one like resident that was a little bit more cognitively functioning was coming I would play a game that I knew that they liked that was at their level and then I'd also have a little bit easier games to play with my residents that weren't quite able to play those more difficult involved games yeah it's it, it really starts before you bring out the games right new like the that person like oh they're not as like they, they mm-hmm. their cognitive decline is greater and so because you knew that so really doing those assessments beforehand and that can be that can look a lot of different ways we did the ideal arbor leisure battery with soldiers mm-hmm. at the soldier recovery unit and so they would have the two there's four tests in that one and the ones i would use the most is the interest survey and the motivation survey mm-hmm. so if i had a soldier coming and i remembered that they were really liked like we're really motivated by motivation or sorry for by intellectual challenge and not motivated by competition I would be more likely to let's make this a little bit more collaborative or let's not count points whereas if they were like really motivated by competition and were normally very intense about that maybe in sports kind of thing trying to add a little bit of that feeling in to the games, like make it a little bit more competitive, make yeah. it put some stakes in the game, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of add it in. So that, that was one where I was doing it just based on like this assessment. And, and, but then there's others where it really helps to collaborate with other, if you if you are working with other therapists, collaborating with them, understanding what their goals for the clients are and understanding how that can relate. So when I worked at the brain clinic, I, before I did anything, I met with the neuropsychiatrist and she was kind enough to let me try like a recreation therapy program. So what she told me was, these are the things that our clients are working on. These are the categories, find 
activities that you want to do, and then we'll talk about them. And so I found things that I thought would work on those skills. And then I went with, I met with her and talked about it. And then at this brain clinic, it is so cool. They do brain mapping. So you could physically see where the client's brains, what areas were hyperactive or high or and so I would have their like own personal assessments and I would have a list of what the neuropsychiatrist and I decided were going to work on these skills. And so then when they came to the game group, I would be like, okay, I have a couple of people that are working on attention. So I'm going to do this or these ones need memory. So, so I would adapt the game group to those people. And it was really cool because at the end of the week, they would do another assessment with their brains and you could see the progress of their brain. That's so cool. It was so awesome. And it wasn't just me. Like there was many, many therapists working here. So it wasn't just like, look, board games (laughs) alone, like, or these games alone helped, but it was really cool to see the progress in real time. I know most places don't have that kind of capability, but you could do a before and after assessment, even a depression measure, if you're working on the emotional or things like before and after, and just kind of be able to use that research. Yeah, definitely. So another thing that we should consider for our best practices would also be safety. Cause I feel like with a lot of the clients that we've worked with, there's always some, I mean, really with anyone, there's always some safety thing that is to be considered when you're planning your activity, when you're getting to the planning phase. So when I worked at the nursing home, I always had to be on guard whenever we played board games because a lot of the small pieces that we had to some people that maybe don't have good vision, maybe have some dementia, they might look like food or candy. And I definitely was playing the game of life when one of my residents just took the little car and like popped it in her mouth and I had to go like, oh no, like spit it out, spit it out. So even though table games might seem pretty low risk. And I would say generally they are. It is important to consider what safety issues could possibly exist in the realm of table games and then make plans for how to avoid that, mitigate that risk. Did you attempt to process that with her? Ah, I see you're eating your car in the game of life. Is this how you feel about it? I mean, maybe very quickly. We're like, oh no, this is not good for you. This is plastic. Please spit that. We mostly eat our cars. We need to go through I I totally had the same thing. I did an intergenerational preschool and we had adults and children trying to eat them pieces, not understanding. And so luckily we had a lot of volunteers monitoring. So people could kind of, you know, take that away before they realized it. But that's like, again, with the planning, like how many people are you having? Like if I, I manage all of these people, like safely or even like if I just have two player games and we have a big group or I only have party games and we end up having a smaller group it's good to have like you said before like with the assessment it's good to have options because right like ideally we know who's coming but in a lot of cases the like if you're if it's a more laid back not like oh this is this person's recreation therapy time yeah it will be uh you know whoever shows up if you're working in more of like an activities setting where like, yes, you are the recreational therapist, but you still might have whatever resident was getting out of bed right now, or like whichever kids were able to, were in a safe place to come to your recreation therapy group or whatever soldiers decided to like drop in all of those situations, you might not 
always know who's going to for sure be coming day of your session. Yeah, right. And there's things that you can do to kind of adapt as you go along, which was kind of with our intervention mm -hmm. section. So we did A assessment, P is planning. And so intervention, the actual game, right? And so as you're going along, like figuring out, okay, like this isn't working. <laughs> yeah. We're playing phase 10, we're on phase three and it's the end of the hour. I need to let them know like, okay, this is the end of this or just kind of monitoring their cues. And if they're not, if, if they seem very frustrated and like they're not understanding the game or it's just getting really overwhelming for them, mm -hmm. adjusting kind of as you go. Yeah, I had a client. So one of the rec therapy jobs I had, I did in-home recreational therapy with kids as part of a mental health Medicaid waiver program down in Texas. Um, it was a super cool job, but I did work one-on-one -on -one with clients in their homes and in their communities. And I had one client who, if he felt that he was like not doing well, he would get really frustrated and then kind of like shut down, like he would not talk. Sometimes he would like run away from me, which was alarming if we were in a public setting. Yeah. So I noticed this. So with table games with him, which fortunately we were like at his home, if I noticed that he was like started, like if I was starting to do better than him, I would sometimes intentionally like not do well or like lose just so that he could like continue playing the game because when he saw that I was like doing way better than him and like I'm an adult he's a kid obviously that's not fair odds he would get really frustrated and then it would kind of just like shut down and kind of end the session early so to kind of mitigate that I would try to play more to his level like don't crush this kid because yeah. we want I wanted him to like be able to keep going to keep playing the game to like continue the session so yeah, definitely just like watching how your clients are doing and like seeing how they're responding to different things in the game. Like no need to crush children. <laughs> yeah, no need. Not about you. <laughs> Not that it ever was, but. <laughs> but keeping that, like, like keeping that flow, right? Like if you go yeah. too high, then it's overwhelm and anxiety and shutting down that way. If it's too easy, like your clients that knew that Go Fish was a game that they played as children. If it's too yeah. easy. It leads to boredom. So kind of evaluating as you go, it's okay if in your initial assessment, you didn't catch everything, right? You might not yeah, know, yeah. like you might not know, but there's nothing wrong with being like, okay, guys, like let's pause. This mm -hmm. is taking too long. Let's, let's say like now when we draw Uno cards, you don't have to draw until you get the right card. Now we're yeah, just going to- don't have to draw 50 cards, just draw one. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. There's nothing- sometimes it can be frustrating for the clients, I guess, yeah. adjusted the rules as they're going, because they've got their strategy. So kind of talking about that beforehand, like, we're going to see how this goes for the first 10 minutes, and then we'll adjust as we go. And that's, that helps them problem solve with you that helps them, you know, engage with that with you and deal with that change of shift, maybe. Yeah. So it's, it's really great. Yeah, I feel like a huge part of recreational therapy is just like thinking on your feet and like coming, you know, we always have to have a backup plan and then a backup plan to our backup plan and just like be ready for anything while you're doing the intervention. Yeah. And then afterwards, when you're evaluating, which is the last part of it, you can yeah. write that down and say, okay, it, especially if you have like other people that you're working with and you're not always the one leading the group, you can make, you can make notes, right. And say, Hey, if Johnny comes to this group, prompt him this way, like prompt him, like, this is what I say to help him remember to take turns. Or this is, if he's getting really frustrated, this is how we adapted it last time, that kind of thing. Sure. With, 
with your own evaluation and you can also talk to them afterwards right and be like okay guys like what what did you think what was your feedback especially like you were saying in the beginning like if they weren't into it beforehand and you see that they seem to be having being able to process that and say maybe games aren't so bad after all yeah like what did you learn from this did you do you think you could maybe be interested in playing board games again or like with your families or with your kids yeah definitely one thing that I really love about table games is that they offer like a really easy way to process the skills that you're working on because you know you have moments where you experience frustration or (laughs) like something didn't go as planned your strategy didn't work out and so there's all these areas that we can talk about like how did you deal with that frustration during the game or like when was another time in your life that things didn't go how you wanted to how you wanted them to and like how did you react how could you have reacted you know all those different processing questions that we love that are kind of part of like that evaluation that so it's like we get feedback from like what the clients learned from the game and then we also get feedback on if they enjoyed it or not yeah and and it really adds a huge like therapeutic element right when you're able to talk about like hey, like, what did you think about that? Like, just going back to the game of curses, like, that would have been fine, like, to to just play and not process afterwards. But it was, it was so much better to talk about those, those consequences and responses and talk about a game plan for the future and being able to actually take those and use them in their lives to improve experiences. Yeah. I mean, that's like the huge thing that takes it from being just for fun to like being therapeutic is when we're like able to kind of process and like generalize these skills. So table games, I think, I think they're really awesome for being used as part of therapeutic recreation. We talked about API, right? We like went through assessment, planning, intervention, and evaluation. And I think like if you're able to do table games using that API process, it's really easy to see how table games would, could be really useful to work on all sorts of goals. So yeah. really, I hope for those of you listening to this, if you're like not sure about table games, like maybe you yourself didn't grow up playing games, so you're not, they're not something that you enjoy as much. Maybe you might want to consider make, giving them a second chance, seeing if they are something that could work well for the people that you're working with right now as an RT. Yeah, especially because it can work with so many different populations, right? Like we we named several that we've personally worked with. Probably there's probably someone out there that has adapted it for your population. And so being yeah, able yeah. to use that and there's probably a a research article that at least touches on it for your population or touches on some similar skill that you would be working on for your population. And you can yeah. adapt it, which is super helpful. <laughs> Yes. And I think that's my favorite thing about table games, honestly, is that they're so easy to adapt. They're easy to adapt and they're also very accessible because a lot of the adaptations we talked about are things that you can make yourself. So it's cost effective or things you can order online. They already exist. Also, if you don't have a super big budget for getting table games, it's really easy for you to pick up table games from like thrift stores. You can buy them at garage sales. I even would like Jana and I would bring in our own personal table games to use during our rec therapy sessions. So if you had friends that had table games, you could borrow them for also there's like a million card games that you can learn and play and like cards are pretty cheap. At the same time, the other great thing about table games is that unlike other recreational therapy activities we do, they don't require a lot of space. We don't need a whole gym (laughs) to play the game. We don't need all this sporting equipment. We don't have to worry about people getting injured. Like you just need a space that you can sit down for like an hour 
set up your card game or your board game and play it. And that makes it fairly easy to do in the sense of just like what, what setup is involved and like what supplies you need. Right. Yeah. And if you're working with different populations, if you've worked with different populations, it's really easy to take the same game and adapt it to a new population, right? Like maybe making it easier, making it harder. So it's really great to, to make that a really strong therapeutic experience. And that is, I think what, what my favorite thing about it is, is that it's like you were saying, it's so, it can be so easy. Like it can be so simple, but it can have really strong therapeutic experience from it. You can have the assessing and processing these things. It's kind of like people will process afterwards anyway on their own. If they're like, oh my gosh, that was so hard or that was so good. Or I can't believe like that was what you did. Like that was totally what I was going to do. And like, they're going to process anyway. So pulling in the therapeutic processing is, is natural, I think, or, or it it can become natural, obviously, like it it takes practice. Right. But, but it can become a natural extension of what they're already talking about just by cueing like different questions and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up our discussion on table games. Um, I hope that if nothing else, you learned something new about the modality of table games. And if you're a recreational therapist that you might consider using it with your clients, or maybe you got some good ideas for yourself. Jana and I referenced a bunch of research articles, so you can look for those as well as information about the board games that we referenced and um, information on adaptations that we found in our show notes. We also have an email it's realtalkrectherapy at gmail.com. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us there. Otherwise, thanks for hanging out with us. We hope that you learned something and we will be back next time with more information about the field of recreational therapy. Awesome. Thanks, Carol. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Bye.